Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the final part of the Probably True HIV series made possible by the British Podcast Award Pulse Fund and the Wellcome Trust. Actually, this is part 1 of the final part. I'm doing a Harry Potter, but not because I'm making stupid amounts of money off of it like J.K. Rowling did, but more because there's a lot of information and it's a lot to take in, so I thought I'd divide it into two and make it a little bit easier for your brain. Anyway, here's part one of my chat with handsome Dr. Sean Cassidy. You're listening to Probably True. Please be aware that this podcast may contain strong language and adult themes. It would be boring without them. I'm joined today by the the lovely, handsome Dr. Sean Cassidy. Hello, handsome Dr. Sean Cassidy. How are Hi, you? Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. It's a pleasure to have you in my little cupboard. I'm honoured to be asked. Thank oh, you so much for having me. You're more than welcome anytime. Give us your job title because it's quite impressive and I can't remember it off the top of my head. Oh, it's, I don't think it's impressive. I'm a specialty registrar, technically a junior doctor, but I'm a trainee in sexual health and HIV medicine. It's fun. I like it. Good. Yeah. So basically, your day job is looking at manky willies. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I've i seen thousands, and <laughs> well, I'm yeah. proud of it. You're not special. I've no. seen thousands as well, you know. <laughs> Do you specialise in HIV? Or? Uh, well, I mean, the specialty is genital urinary medicine. So as part of that, I do a bit of everything. So a bit of sexual health a bit of HIV, um, a bit of contraception. So it's quite varied um, within quite a, a small niche, I guess. I'm curious, what made you want to go into this branch of medicine in general? I don't know. I think it's just a morbid <laughs> a morbid curiosity in what other people get up to and what better way to live vicariously through other people than through their sex lives. I mean, I mean, looking back, like when I was like nine or 10, I distinctly remember bringing in like this medical encyclopedia that I'd got for Christmas and opening it at the page of male and female genitals and giving like a science lesson to my bemused and bewildered classmates about what like penises and vaginas were Um, and little did I know that here I would be some years later (laughs) doing basically the same thing (laughs) I mean I had a similar education in that kind of thing but it was a copy of Razzle that someone found in a hedge it wasn't an encyclopedia this is rural Ireland they don't have pornography there oh no it was pre-internet gosh (laughs) you are showing your age (laughs) i'm so curious about some of the things you've seen and presumably mopped up anyway when it comes to bumming and safe sex and all the naughty fun squirty stuff who better (laughs) to give us all the facts than handsome dr sean cassidy who's seen thousands of willies that's going on my twitter handle let's start with just a simple one what is hiv well, that's a very good question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Quite proud. Did you make that up yourself? Yeah, I, I thought about Googling it, but then I thought, oh, nah, wait why till bother? Yeah. So HIV is a virus, it stands for human immunodeficiency virus, and it's a virus that affects humans, can be passed on by 
via various means and has an impact on the body's immune system, hence the title. With you so far? It was first discovered in the early 80s, or it came to light that it was affecting groups of gay men in the kind of San Francisco and New York areas who were contracting quite a rare form of pneumonia that is generally only associated with in people who've got really uh, weak immune systems. Although it's thought that actually there were cases, you know, way earlier, but that just weren't identified because they weren't in, in clusters. So this was like the first time that it had been recognised as a pattern. And it, I mean, the first few years are just sound like so confusing in the sense that there was such little certainty on as to what was causing these group of symptoms and these kind of uh, disease patterns uh, in these in these men. And then subsequently, obviously, they discovered that it wasn't anything to do with your sexuality. Actually, heterosexual people can get it as well, just as easily. Oh, it's a gay disease mm. and, and things like that. It was originally called gay-related immunodeficiency disease. So it's called GRID. So yeah, talk about like a judgment call. And I think in many ways that, you know, that, that kind of stigma persisted for decades after that was kind of disproved by the science, you know, as with anything like that, I think. This is an amazing um, book and documentary called How to Survive a Plague, which is a real eye-opener. Like, it must have been such a confusing time when the scientists, like, at the forefront of their fields just didn't have a clue what was going on or what was causing this. Like, they didn't even know that it was a virus. Yeah, because it's a retrovirus, isn't it? Something like Yeah, mm, yeah. Which presumably doesn't have anything to do with disco music and flared trousers. Well, it depends on what you're up to, but um, <laughs> again, without going into the you know the nitty gritty of it, I mean, these viruses are very, very good at avoiding detection because they require genetic material from the host in order to survive. So they kind of integrate themselves. So they're kind of hiding. Yeah, within plain sight. Oh. And and so with HIV, so the type of cells that it generally infects are white blood cells, so a specific type of white blood cell called CD4, which you may have heard. Oh yeah, it's uh, one of the best ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my fave. And for that reason, it, it kind of, it's, it's hidden from the body's own defense system. So it's incredibly sophisticated. And as well, the virus can mutate extremely readily. So when it's kind of transcribing its own material, it kind of makes loads of mistakes, which you would think might be a bit of a flaw. But actually, it means that it can avoid, you know, treatment, basically. So when you say transcribing its own, is that like when so when it kind of copies itself? So it's like, right. So it's like a photocopy, but it's like blurry. Like when you copy yeah. a copy, a copy, a copy. If yeah. you do it enough times, it gets slightly different. Exactly. Exactly. So like Chinese whispers or something, like mm. it alters slightly different on each iteration. And that's why a HIV vaccine hasn't been found yeah, uh, and that, that work is still ongoing because it's so because once you've created a vaccine, by that point the virus has changed so many thousands of times. It's impossible to kind of have one fits all solution to the problem, I guess. Got you. So you said there's different ways of passing it on. HIV can be present in several bodily fluids. The ones that are most relevant for your listeners, uh, or indeed for anyone, trying to say, or indeed for anyone, are genital secretions. So, um, <laughs> yeah, nice Ugh. mental image. So, semen, obviously, but also vaginal mucus, anal mucus. Oh, I, I love their uh, second album. It was really good. Yeah, uh, exactly, and blood as well, and and also breast milk as well. I would not have guessed that one. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
so that obviously informs the ways in which it can be passed on. So yeah, it's passed on predominantly through unprotected or condomless sexual intercourse. It can be passed on through blood transfusions, sharing needles, and it can be passed on through childbirth and and breastfeeding as well. One of the main Mm -hmm. things, I suppose, that's worth noting is that you can't get it from kissing. So presumably you can't get it from oral sex either. You can't... Can you get it if you... If you you try really, really hard, it's like the the risk... the best way when you're sucking a dick is to really try. (laughs) I don't want a half-hearted brain job. So in the history of HIV, there have been instances of oral transmission, but they are so so low. And when you think about it, how many instances of oral sex have ever happened in... in Today? Yeah. <laughs> what? Right now. The number of cases is vanishingly low. So I would consider it to be not zero risk, but close to zero. There is like something I've heard where you'd have to swallow like a gallon of someone's saliva in order to to have enough virus for it to be transmitted. I have met people who kiss like that though. Like, yeah, I I've, I listened to that episode. <laughs> Not <laughs> fun. Yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry to bring Drowning that up again. <laughs> Trauma. And I suppose the safest kind of sex is just having a wank together. Or yeah. alone. I feel very seen. <laughs> the safest is no sexual contact. Oh, that's <laughs> but that's not, not realistic for most people. So obviously condoms will, will reduce the risk, which is fine for most people. But there are other methods as well. You might have heard of PrEP. What's PrEP? PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. The way I kind of describe it is like taking the contraceptive pill if you're a woman to avoid pregnancy. So it's about taking a tablet to stop you from acquiring HIV should you be in a situation where you might be at risk of that. And there's different ways that you can take it. So you can take it every single day, what we call daily treatment. Um, Funny that. Or, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fancy technical term. Yeah. Uh, or you can take it episodically or event-based. And that means you've probably got to be a bit more forward-thinking because <laughs> you've got to take it at least two hours before the sex. And it's slightly different, so you have to take a double dose. To kind of get enough of it into your system in time. I read something about every other day or something as well. So there's different kind of strategies. Basically, the thinking behind it is that if you are taking it at least four days a week, then it's likely to kind of be effective. So T's and S's means that you're taking it every day that begins with a T or an S, so Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, or any variation on a theme. Every other day, again, would, would work if you're taking it four times a week. The issue with that is that if you start kind of missing the odd dose here or there, that would concern me. It's just safer to take it every day, and then if you miss the odd dose, then it's not likely to have any impact on its effectiveness. But it's been a really amazing tool. Like so we've seen we've seen HIV rates amongst gay men and bisexual men in London like collapse over the last few years. And it's not all due to prep. There's lots of other stuff going on as well that's that's important to talk about. But it's been mind blowing in terms of how it's changed that and changed attitudes around sex and around HIV. You know, of course with HIV there's always been stigma around it. I feel like we're kind of chipping away at it. So there's still a lot of stigma, but attitudes are changing. So it's good. So if I come in and I to the clinic mm. and I say, help me, handsome Dr. Sean, I was taking PrEP, but I've forgotten a couple of days. I had uh, <laughs> condomless sex with someone because I didn't realise I'd forgotten. Mm. And, it's, and it's been three or four days since I took a pill and the sexy times was last night. 
what yeah. ha- what would happen then? Okay, fine. Well, I mean, obviously we have to take each case on its case by case basis. So it would depend on the exact number of pills you'd missed and when exactly the sex was and the type of sex, etc. If you'd missed a significant amount of PrEP and you were still within the window, we would start you on PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis, okay. which has been around for a lot longer than PrEP has. And PEP is where you can take HIV treatment after the event. So right. PrEP is about being prepared, you know, as in doing it in advance and PEP is for, for after the after the event I guess and you, you've got a 72 hour window in which you can start that cool. after the after the sex that you've had so but it's three days is it? it's three days mm. but also don't use it as a oh I'll just sit around for three days the sooner you do it the better as soon as possible really so certainly within 24 hours but obviously if it's later than that it should still be effective so PrEP is like the contraceptive pill that you take so you don't get pregnant. Mm. And PEP, then, the post-exposure is like the morning after pill, essentially. Yeah, that's kind of a, a very crude, but I, I think, sorry. you know... No, 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 no. <laughs> no, like... <laughs> sorry, it's not, it's not a diss. Um, that, that's, and that's how I describe it. It's not exactly the same, but it's kind of, yeah, similar. On the same lines. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Hmm. So what happens then if I'm outside that way? If I come to you and I say... Oh, I had sex last week and my prep had run out and I've just been very busy. I couldn't come into the clinic, you know. I had spreadsheets to look at. I'm a very busy person. Well, look, we'd acknowledge your schedule. <laughs> and As you should. We'd commiserate you on, you know, the fact that you're a very busy person. Um, look, I mean, if you're outside the 72 window period, there's, there's nothing that you can do in terms of taking PEP. So we would obviously speak to you about what the likely risk was. So we've got lots of fancy spreadsheets we can show you to kind of... I do love a good spreadsheet. <laughs> there's like really good guidance on what the, the risk is through each of the different types of sexual encounter that you might have. And and sometimes that can be really reassuring for people. They can say, oh, actually, I was worried that it would be a, a one in three risk. And actually, I can see that it's a one in 200 risk. And that, for a lot of people, will be reassuring. And they'll go away and be like, right, I'll come back and retest in four to six weeks once I'm kind of outside the testing window period, basically. The tests that we do these days are really, really sensitive. They're really accurate. So like the blood test that we do looks for not just an antibody to HIV, which takes time to form, but also looks for the antigen, which is a part of the virus that that kind of shows up much earlier, basically. So if I've got this right, when you do the tests, Mm. you look for the thing that the body makes to try and get rid of HIV, which is the antibody, is Mm -hmm. that right? But you also look for part of the virus itself, the antigen. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So when I go for a HIV test, I come into the clinic. How much blood is it? Like a needle in the arm kind of thing, and like because I'm not I'm not a big fan. Yeah, and but there's different there's different ways. So predominantly, it will just be a blood test that you'll have taken from your arm, and it's quite a small amount of blood. Like it's only a few mils. It's like a teaspoonful. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Or that you can do like a finger prick test because it means that you do it there and then, and you get the results within seconds to minutes usually. Right. So there's different types of tests that can be done, and normally that's taken taken from like a like a capillary so it's like they'll prick the side of your finger and then they'll kind of take a few drops that way Mm. and then you find out straight away pretty much pretty much yeah a lot of clinics will still have a week to 10 days uh, waiting time for results there's home testing services as well so most london boroughs have access you can just order a testing kit online 
And again, that's awesome. a, that's a finger prick test, but it, it checks for not just HIV, but things like syphilis and hepatitis as well. And those results normally come back within two to three days as well. So it is moving in the right direction. But yeah, like, I mean, it's just, it's kind of crazy to think you'd have to wait like almost a month for like a HIV test, particularly, and this is like back in the days when actually a lot of people were getting infected. And like, it, of course, it's like weighs so heavily on your emotional state, doesn't it, I guess? Mm. You can certainly live with HIV and and not know about it for a long time. So there's something called a seroconversion illness that about two-thirds of people will get about a month or so after they've initially come into contact with the virus. And that's normally described as like the worst flu you've ever had. So if you've got it, you're normally kind of in bed for a good few days. You'll have raised lymph nodes, fevers, sore throat, quite often a rash on your body as well. But again, all of these are very non-specific symptoms that can be misdiagnosed as the flu or some other viral infection. Oh, I was a bit ill a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I had a runny nose and a headache. I had a day in bed. You're probably not the same thing. Love. You just take a beach and get back to work. Go but on. if you haven't been checked in a while, then run down to your local clinic. Yeah, why not? <laughs> exactly. Or but if, don't stress. Or if you live in London, you can have it posted to you. So you're very busy lifestyle. You can just get your, do your own between spreadsheets. <laughs> exactly. And in those cases, so with seroconversion, I mean, it's self-limiting in the sense that your body generally recovers and then you'll go back to a state of having no symptoms. And that's kind of generally the natural history of the virus. And it can take many, many years before you start to see some of the complications, I guess, of of HIV. And the reason for that is because, as I said earlier, uh, here comes the science, the way that HIV works is by infecting the white cells. It infects the immune system, basically. So it's not only just hiding from itself behind the body's defence, it's also knocking it out as it goes along. So when the virus is replicating inside the white cells, it gets to bursting point and it just kind of explodes the cell, I guess, detonates it. Yeah. And then obviously over time, the number of white cells will will reduce. And Mm. that obviously means that your body's immune system isn't able to function in fighting off the sort of bugs that people who are not living with HIV would be able to to routinely fight off. Interesting. And is that is that when HIV becomes AIDS then? A bit hazy on what the actual difference is. Yeah, so AIDS is a term that we that has kind of gone out of fashion. It stands for Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. And it basically refers to the kind of constellation of diseases and infections that people who have low immunity as a result of HIV are more prone to acquiring. We tend these days to say advanced HIV because AIDS is incredibly stigmatising for people living with HIV and people who lived through the the tombstone ads of the 80s. For some people, that's etched on the, the back of their minds, I guess. That's kind of incorporates a number of different things, including infections like tuberculosis, this type of pneumonia called PCP, which is the pneumonia that was affecting those gay men back in San Francisco in the early 80s that they kind of uh, linked together. And then there's types of cancer as well and malignancy that people living with HIV are more prone to to getting if, if they're not on treatment. So Kaposi sarcoma, which is a type of cancer normally affecting the skin, so it gives you kind of purple blotches. So if you've seen the film Philadelphia, that's kind of exactly. So, so there's any number 
number of, of different things. But, you know, that's in untreated HIV. The important message is that for the majority of people who are taking treatment, um, then it has no effect on their health whatsoever. And they have a life expectancy that is at least as long as people who aren't living with HIV. And that's the great news. Cool. So really, whether you think you might have it or not, get tested, find out. Absolutely. And then if you have, you can deal with it and you go on to live a normal, happy life. Yeah. Uh, well, say normal. <laughs> I say happy. What's normal? You'll, you'll, have, you'll go on to have a life. <laughs> that seems like a good place to pause for the end of part one. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with part two soon. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. That was probably true. The multi-award-winning storytelling series written and produced by me, the multi-award-winning Scott Flashheart. It was designed to remind all of my queer siblings that we are none of us alone. You can find links, transcripts of every episode, and all that good stuff at probablytruepodcast.com. If you enjoyed or found value in anything you've heard today, you can support the show on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash probablytrue. And if you want to get in touch, just search Probably True Podcast on the socials. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.